Four establishes a covenant with Abram. He and his elderly wife will be blessed with a son, and through him, his offspring, a large number of nations will arise. A reading from the book of Genesis. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. I shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram. Your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you... And I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring, and your offspring after you throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God you, and to your offspring after you. God and God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife. You shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. King of people shall come from her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'll stand and sing together Psalm 22, beginning on page 4 of the worship booklet. Yes. 
Please be seated. Paul explains that Abraham, who trusted God's promise before the law existed, should be our model for responding in faith to God's goodness. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Romans. The promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, Faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of all of us, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said, so numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words, it was reckoned to him, were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation Of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. I find myself on something of a kick these days in terms of preaching. It seems like I'm preaching the same sermon over and over and over again, so I hope you don't get bored. Um, On the other hand, I think the economy sort of calls for this sermon. 
Um, so here we go. The passage that we heard in the gospel um, comes just immediately after Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ. Um, Jesus is walking along the road with his disciples. He says to them, who do people say that I am? Some of them say that you are Elijah. Some of them say that you are the prophet. Some of them say that you are John the Baptist, come back to life. And then he says, and who do you say that I am? And before even thinking about it, Peter blurts out, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus goes directly to where we started today. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, be killed, and on the third day rise again. It's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't refer to himself in the first person. He doesn't say, I must undergo many things. He says, the Son of Man must undergo many things. The Son of Man was this apocalyptic figure who was going to come back at the end of time, if you read the book of Daniel, having been crowned by God, reestablish the kingdom of Israel and set everything to rights, make Israel victorious. And so Jesus begins to teach that the Son of Man must undergo many things. Peter is going to say, but no, 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 that's not the way the story goes, um, like all of us would. And then Jesus says something very stern to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Wow. Um, Satan is the word for the accuser in court. Mark uses the word only one other time, and that's when Jesus is out in the wilderness being tested by Satan. Being tested, tempted with exactly this. Bring Israel back to power. Make it all come out right. Do this now and quickly. Peter is tempting him to the same thing. Get behind me, Satan. You are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. You are not seeing things in God's way, but in human ways. And then to tell us how it is to see things in God's way, Jesus calls the disciples. I expected Jesus, or calls the crowd. I expected Jesus just to call the disciples and say, this is the way it's going to be. Having seen Peter rebuke me, um, I want to explain to you how things are really going to be. But instead, he calls the crowds and says, if any want to be my disciples, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. If any, not just Jews, not just Gentiles, not just black, not just white, not just rich, not just poor, any want to be my disciples, want to be my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. We here deny themselves and immediately think of making ourselves miserable. Oh, I'm going to have to give up chocolate for Lent. Or if I really want to make myself miserable, give up coffee for Lent. You don't want to live with me if I give up coffee. But that's not what Jesus means. Deny yourself in terms of making yourself miserable. He goes on to explain it. For the person who wants to save his life will lose it. And the person who loses his life on my account and the account of the gospel will save it. What will it profit them to gain the whole world but lose their souls? And indeed, what can they give in exchange for their souls? That starts to hit close to home. I read in the newspaper this week that one in five American homeowners is underwater. And what we mean by underwater is owes more on their house than their house is worth. One in five. That means as I drive up my street, 
five of the houses that I pass are not worth what is owed on them. What will it profit them to gain the whole world and lose their peace of mind? Some of those folks got into that situation legitimately, bought their house at a fair price, and then the market just went you know, out from under them. Others of those folks got talked into taking out a huge mortgage, a mortgage that they couldn't afford by some fast-talking mortgage broker, and got into this business um, and can't afford it. Of course, now we're talking about bailouts and all of that kind of thing, and we wonder, what good will that do? What will it profit us? to have mortgaged our future. In 1929, after the great market crash, um, there were people throwing themselves out of windows on Wall Street, people shooting themselves, because they had identified themselves completely with their stock portfolio. And when that was gone, they were gone. It wouldn't surprise me if we added up the losses of all of our 401ks and stocks and everything else that we own just in this room, it wouldn't surprise me that we approached a million dollars in losses. All paper, of course, but there it is. Fortunately, none of us is throwing ourselves out of a window. Don't define yourselves in terms of your 401k, your stock, your retirement, whatever it is. That is setting your mind on human things not on divine things. But we're like Peter. We want to say, but no, 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 that's not how the story goes. The economy is supposed to keep improving and getting better and better and better. Don't talk to us about suffering. That's not what we want to hear. But we live by different values. We live by grace. In the Gospel of Matthew, the Son of Man, Jesus tells the parable of the Son of Man who comes back at the end of time and sits on his throne and gathers the nations before him and separates them one from another, the sheep from the goats, the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left. And he turns to the people on his right hand and says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick or in prison, you visited me. And they are startled. They say, when? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you poor? When did we see you sick and visit you? We don't know this. We didn't see that. It's a matter of training ourselves to recognize divine things versus human things. How do we define ourselves? It would be so easy to define ourselves in terms of that beautiful house in the suburbs, in terms of our retirement plan, in terms of our 401k. But that is setting our mind on human things, not divine things. When all of that evaporates, which it can, then we would want to throw ourselves out of the window. Peter says, no, 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 that's not the way the story goes. And Jesus says, no, you're thinking about human things, not divine things. We hear in the story from the Old Testament that God says to Abraham, I will make you the father of many nations. Not just one, not just the Jews, but many nations. And Paul then interprets that to say, Abraham is the father of us all. Jesus says, if any want to be my disciples, let them learn this new way of seeing and come behind me. Don't have to be rich, don't have to be poor, don't have to be black, don't have to be white, don't have to be Jewish, don't have to be Gentile. If any want to be my disciples, set your mind on divine things. Learn to see these things this way. 
I've been pushing hands-on, face-to-face ministry since I got back from Louis for that reason. It reminds us that we live by grace. It helps us keep our minds on divine things and not on human things. If any want to be my disciples, let them come. Amen. Amen.